Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Wardy, and we're coming back at you with another episode of the Dr. Dad's Podcast, and I'm with my brother in crime, Dr. Nick Jensen. How are you, buddy? So good, buddy. Uh, it's just, you know, it's always a pleasure to get a chance to see you again. It's been a look over a week, right? It's been two weeks. I've got a little day, day, Dr. Wardy withdrawal, so I'm, yes, I'm happy sure. to be here. <laughs> How was the vacay, man? Did you guys it's good. Fun? Yeah, we played in the mountains. We were, we were in Whistler. Our friend has a place up there, and, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. But uh, the it's blue sky every day. It was gorgeous. Uh, a little icy in the conditions, so we just stuck to the cross country skiing and snowshoeing and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was beautiful. That's good. But nice to be not. back. Nice to be back. Always nice to get those breaks, right? They're always needed. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I'm going in two weeks for my fortieth, so I'm excited. I know. I, I I saw where you're going too. It looks amazing. The big four zero. Yeah, it's a big time. It's a big year. Yeah, it is. I'm yeah. excited, man. I feel better at 40 than I did at 30, so that's a good sign. Yeah, isn't that interesting? You know, I mean, I, I, I got to say the same thing. You know, I, if I only knew, you know, the things that we knew now, you know, foresight versus hindsight, obviously, you know, if we could only go back with the knowledge that we have. But uh, it's all about going forward now too, right? And we've got an amazing guest that's going to help us usher into the next decade of our lives. Well, talking about learning things that you wish you had known before, we're going to get into a lot of that today with our guests. So I'm super excited. I got to meet this woman a couple of weeks ago. I've already taken uh, Diego in to see her. So today we have Dr. Noha Oshi with us. She is, I'm going to get into her bio. She's got a great one. Okay. So Dr. Oshi is a certified biological dentist with the IABDM and also just completed her accreditation with the IAOMT. She also holds a master's in public health from New Mexico State University. She is probably the only dentist in El Paso and Southern New Mexico to be a SMART, which stands for Safe Mercury Amalgam Removal Technique certified by the IAOMT, accredited as a biological dentist by the IAOMT and certified by the IABDM. That's a lot of abbreviations there. Uh, <laughs> she's amazing, super, super personable, love to hang out with her, very, very knowledgeable and passionate about what she does. Dr. Oshi, thank you so much for being with us today. Dr. Wardy, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, I can't wait to dive in deep with all your questions, you know, and um, concerns about what is biological dentistry and, and so forth. So let's just jumpstart it. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you have a great story. You told me a little bit about your, about your story, where you're from, how that all played out. Can you give us the Cliff Notes version of that? And then tell us how you moved into this whole biological dentistry, looking at the mouth and, and the teeth and everything more holistically. Sure. Yeah, I um, actually, you know, grew up in um, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and I'm originally from Egypt, Cairo, Egypt, and um, moved back here permanently 2016. Um, then we went to NMSU for my public health um, degree. And then me and my husband, who's also a dentist, we moved to California to um, go to UCSF for dental school again. And we graduated, we practiced there for a few years. Um, the first year out of school, I was working in a corporate office. Um, I hated it. I hated everything about it. It was all about volume. Um, so I just told my husband, I'm going to, you know, look for another job. So I started applying for jobs. And in California, it's really hard to get a a, um, a full-time job as a dentist because they don't know you they don't know how you practice so they'll hire you maybe a day or two just kind of test the waters you can eventually get a full-time job with you know whoever likes your work and, and such but um, you gotta just start out like that so I ended up leaving that corporate position and working in three different offices it was um, funny because each one just worked whole different philosophy and way than the other one um when one office they were doing ton of surgeries a ton of sedation and they just wanted to sedate patients and have me work on them the other office was a it wasn't a corporate it was more of a private practice but um one owner had a few offices and then the third office which was 
the turning point in my career. Um, it was a boutique kind of style office, biological, which I had no clue what that was. Um, but she told me, are you open-minded? Are you open to learning new things? And that's just who I am. I'm always open to learning new things. So I told her, yeah, sure, you know, uh, you know let's, let's get it started. So I started working out with her and the way she was doing things, the, the, the things she was looking at in dentistry was very, very different than any other office I, I worked in. And I asked her, you know, why? Why, why are you going this route? And um, her story was her daughter um, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and you know she took her to all the doctors and their answer was steroid shots and steroids and steroids and she just didn't think this was a good permanent solution so she started doing her own research and stumbled into functional medicine and you know how to reduce inflammation in the body and she changed her diet and her her daughter's been in remission um, so that kind of blew my mind. Um, and then I kind of, she took me with her to all these, you know, meetings with the IOAMT, which is International Academy of um, Oral Medicine and Toxicology and the Holistic Dental Society. And she told me on my first meeting, she said, you're going to hear things that you'll probably think are crazy, but just have an open mind uh, because very different from what we were taught in school. And I, I didn't really think they were crazy. I actually was just drawn like a magnet. I felt like, tell me more. I need to know more because I wasn't finding all the answers in the conventional world, whether it's medical or dental. Um, all the answers were just Band-Aid and it wasn't just, it wasn't enough. So I just, this, it just made so much sense to me. I just, it clicked. It's, it's just, and, and I made that decision that this is how I'm going to practice dentistry. I need to find the root cause of things and fix them, not just Band-Aid. Because guess what? When you Band-Aid, just a matter of time when it's going to happen again or it's going to happen in a different shape or form. It's so helpful to hear someone's backstory. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's just so much that, uh, you know, I'm sure it's for David too, just sounds familiar. I mean coming up through a, a certain way of living, we're not exposed to all these different ways of looking at things. And it, it must feel a little bit like coming home. Uh, Cause I know that's what it felt like for me. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, just, it just like the stars aligned and that's it. You know, what am I doing here? This isn't, I need to fix this. That's just how I felt. Yeah. Cause I imagine like many practitioners that, that are joining their, their field of expertise, whether it be dentists to, to medical doctors, to naturopaths, to chiropractors, whatever it may be, is that they, they go in with, you know, this idea of wanting to serve and help people and maybe investigate things that, that they had, they were curious about with them, their own health or their own, their own, you know, upbringing. And then to, to be able to be put into a place where you're, you know, maybe doing something that doesn't feel quite aligned and then, and then are given an opportunity to maybe for that be a medical doctor moving to functional medicine because they, they go, Oh, this is what I've been looking for. And then for you to see that there's this whole other realm to dentistry that, that your eyes weren't necessarily on to go like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm home. And so that's, that's a beautiful uh, recognition of that. You're in the exact place you're supposed to be. And it, and it, and it feels, it feels great because when you take care of the root cause of things and you just hear feedback from patients, how their overall health improved, like, I, yes, I'm a dentist, I practice in the mouth, but, you know, understanding that relation between the oral cavity and the rest of the body and vice versa and how everything we do affects the body and how things are going on in the body. We can see signs in the oral cavity, you know, and, and we take care of things there and other things start, you know, just kind of unwinding and clearing up and patients reaching out and letting us know how things improve dramatically. Um, it doesn't happen to everybody, but, you know, and I don't promise that I'm going to cure anything. I do my job as a dentist, but it's just amazing when I hear from them how other things in their body or their health just improve dramatically. Mm -hmm. It just like, you know, touches home for me in why I'm doing this. Can you, can you help people understand that? So why, why is that the case? 
that, that when you like, whether it be an infection or you mentioned the, the safe mercury removal, like what is it about the mouth that has that impact on the entire body? I think that that's important for people to understand. Um, you know, every, everybody is different and everybody, we got to look at them as their own, their own self. You know, some people, um, they're just, they have sensitivities in their body and, and, and everything we do in dentistry, you know, it's, it's chemicals, everything we use. So understanding toxicity, understanding how infection in the, in the mouth, you know, could affect the rest of the body, understanding the energy channels and the meridians in the body, um, is, is extremely important. And, and it depends on a person's terrain. You know, some people could have, you know, 10 infections or 10 root canals or, you know, all the things and they're fine. And someone who has just one little thing and is throwing a lot of things off. Um, you know, I kind of tell my patients, it's kind of like a, a sink and you, you know, you close the plug and it's just filling, filling, filling at one point, it's going to overspill. Um, so, so we start looking and investigating what's going on in the mouth, what could be affecting the, the energy channels, the meridians, um, doing some compatibility testing, understanding what their body is least talk, you know, least reactive to, um, and, and, and trying to accomplish the goal of dentistry, the durability, the strength, the, the aesthetics, but at the same time minimal effect on the body's strain as possible least toxicity i love that you say that because you know growing up going to dentists the conventional model i don't think this is something that's at that last part that you said that is of concern it's more of let me get the work done let me fix the teeth let me patch it up but they're not thinking long term absolutely i mean for some things maybe but for a lot of procedures that I think are done pretty regularly with people, whether it's the root canals or the amalgam removals, they're not thinking long-term. You know, like we talked about one of our mentors, Dr. Pampa, he had amalgams removed and the guy got massively sick. And that's why we have tools now to detox people because he had to go through literally uh, a lot of suffering and pain to help himself get well. And through that process was able to find a solution for other people that were suffering from similar problems. But I mean, like you're saying, everybody's different, right? And so there's no one size fits all. I mean, and Nick talk about this all the time, but I love that last piece that you were talking about is like, if we're going to go in here and do work, let's not just do the work, but let's make sure that there's a safety and efficacy and a long-term effect that's going to take place to where we're not hurting somebody and are causing more problems because we got in there and started addressing things. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to get sucked in to just focusing on that one tooth. Um, there's so much to learn in dental school. You have to learn the science. You have to learn the clinical aspect of it and all the clinical aspects of all the different procedures. Um, you know, we do learn about, you know, this, the, the system, the body, but the, that relationship there, you know, we don't really go into details. We don't talk about nutrition much. We barely skim, you know, the surface. Um, so Dennis, like I said, it's very easy to just get sucked into that one tooth and trying to, you know, there's a problem, let's fix it, you know, drill and fill kind of dentistry. Um, you can easily get sucked into it and just not look at the surroundings, you know, not look at how that one little filling you did can throw a ton of things off, whether it's the bite, whether it's, um, you know, the immune system, a lot of things could um, you know, could be thrown off, but it, it's, it, it, it's very true. We can get really, really sucked into itty bitty little details and not look at the whole picture. I love the drill and fill comment because in my profession, I call them rack and crack them mm -hmm. chiropractors, right? But like in your <laughs> profession, you guys call them drill and fill, right? Yeah. But it's funny, right? I mean, the only difference between the two is like practitioners, like, you know, me, Nick, you, Ours, our lens is zooming a whole lot deeper and we're looking at the same things. Absolutely. But we're not so superficial with the view that we're looking at. We're like looking superficially and then we zoom and we zoom and we zoom and we zoom and we make sure that we're covering all these other aspects to make sure the outcome is what it needs to be, but also to make sure that the patient gets well and we don't cause any problems. And that's so important. I mean, I think medicine in general, this should be the template for any doctor who's going to ever touch somebody else and affect their health. 
Absolutely. I mean, you and me talked briefly. I mean, there was a study in the 50s that talked about the relation between cavitation in the mouth and having a heart disease and a heart attack because of that infection. I mean, this stuff's not new. It's been around forever. And I think a lot of people that go in for certain procedures with their mouth, they don't know this information typically. It's not general knowledge. And they don't know that there's long-term consequences sometimes if things aren't done properly. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, I, I, used to, I used to practice like that when I first came out of dental school because that's just how everyone was doing it. You know, you're, you, you count the teeth, you check every tooth, what's wrong with that. The most we do is an oral cancer screening, just look at the soft tissue. You know, the ones that will palpate muscles and check the joints, those are like the A students. And I don't know how sustainable that is when you're seeing, I don't know how many patients a day in a corporate world. Um, it kind of falls off, you know, um, your, your list of things you you go through with a patient, but, um, it's, that's just how, how I was too, until, you know, I, I kind of, you do something and then the, the patient comes back and you don't understand why things aren't improving. And then when I met my friend and, you know, the, my, my previous employer, we're, we're now really good friends. I'm actually going to see her this weekend at the IOMT meeting and decided to see her. But it's, it's, it's like, it's like a light bulb just went on. Like now I could diagnose the root cause of things, why things are happening, you know, our, my exam with a new patient, it's, it's very lengthy. Like we go through their diet, we go through um, their, their life, their social life, what stresses are going on, um, what supplements they're taking. I, you know, I don't just ask them what medical conditions and what medications are. We go into a lot of details. Like they start telling me things, they feel weird that they're telling their dentist, but this actually really helps me because I could see the whole picture. I can kind of see what we're dealing with. When I look in their mouth, now I kind of know why I see what I see um, and not just jump and fix that one tooth because it's just looking at me. You know, I got to understand why this happened in the first place so that when I fix it, it's not going to happen again. Mm. So good to hear this. I mean, I think like, to the, to David's point earlier and, and, and what you're sharing there is that most of us are used to going to see the dentist and it's like a, a technical activity, you know, it's like cap that tooth, pull that, pull that one. It's just very like specific in, in that it's, there's like a targeted outcome. Um, but you're like, it's, you're broadening the lens of, of all that you look at and, and it's so important. So I think for people, that some people might not know what a cavitation is. Can we go through some of the common dental procedures that, that end up maybe causing more problems down the road? And because I think that that's really helpful for people. So I'd love to hear your perspective and thoughts on uh, root canals and what cavitations are. And like, tell me about the wisdom teeth. Like so many people just think that, no, we don't need them. They're just like an extraneous appendage like the the appendix that we just don't need like why are they there you know can we can we go through some of those basic uh, sure. concepts let's let us just break it down one thing at a time i don't want to <laughs> forget yeah, yeah. something so cavitations that's that's a term that a lot of biological dentists use and functional medicine providers use it's not really known in the conventional world um they call it more of osteonecrosis of the bone um but basically if you got a tooth extracted okay and let's say, for instance, there's not a lot of bleeding going on in that socket, that hole that, that, you know, resulted after pulling out a tooth. And our mouth, you know, has bacteria. There's bacteria in our saliva. And the body's trying to heal. It's trying to, you know, lay granulation tissue and close up that hole. But sometimes this bacteria gets in there and the body continues to close up. But guess what? You have this area where the bone is not completely 100% healed. There's some bacteria lingering in there, and it kind of creates a focal point that could stress the body's immune system, stress the body's terrain. Um, you, you know, most of the times we can see them on the 3D scans because it's an area of low bone density. Um, there's also a test that could be done to check and see if this area is affecting the flow of energy in the body or the meridian um, that can be done. So, so that's kind of what a cavitation very simply would be. Um, and that's and usually that's, from a tooth extraction of some sort, yes, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now. And so, and so you guys pulled up a study. You saw that there's this massive connection between uh, cavitations and heart disease. Yeah. Right. And so 
the the area where that where the, those microbes are existing in they're they're sort of sealed off but yet they're they're influencing the lymphatics or the blood I, supply I or like how does that happen i want to say just heart disease um there's been studies you know don't quote me on this but there's been studies to show that um friends of mine or i mean mentors and colleagues they they actually when they're doing their cavitation surgery so basically they go in there clean that bone area out they actually videotape it to show the the quality of the tissue coming out and it's usually fatty tissue fatty granulation tissue and they take a sample and they send it to a, the dna lab and they get a report of that extremely high levels of all the different types of bacteria and some of them find parasites in there um and 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 they've shown you know for patients suffering from some kind of crohn's disease or some kind of gi similar bacteria or similar parasites um that have been found in that cavitation lesion in other places or other issues in the body so it, it travels it travels in your bloodstream and it goes to other areas so you know like i said there's a ton of studies out there to to show that link so I, that's why I would be worried about cavitations. Um, but I also look at, like I said, you could have a patient that has, I don't know how many cavitations and they're doing just fine. They have absolutely no symptoms. And another one just has that one and is throwing everything off. So it's very important to assess, you know, the patient as a whole, their train, what autoimmune issues are going on. Um, and most of the patients that have issues with, um, that have cavitations, they have autoimmune issues that they're trying to work on. They're already done the research. They're already working with a naturopath or whatnot. And they, they come to see me to kind of help out in that terms. That's amazing. So the, just a general, you know, you're going in to see your dentist, you're getting the, the x-ray of your mouth. They're not going to be able to find those cavitations on x-ray because a right. lot of people I may ask, oh, my dentist has never told me about a cavitation. Are you talking about conventional dentistry? Exactly. Or? Yeah. I think it's important for people to differentiate because most people that we, they're probably listening, haven't gone or haven't, haven't had the opportunity to see a biological dentist. And yeah. so most of them are just saying, oh, my x-rays have always been fine. But you're yeah, talking about a different it, way of diagnosis. Absolutely. It, it's yeah. a whole different, it's a whole, can, we've never learned about cavitations. Um, and like an area in the, in the x-ray that looks like a little, um, you know, radiolucent, which means doesn't have high density. You know, we don't think much of it unless we see it like uh, with like weird borders or, you know, encapsulated or whatnot. We can send, we usually are, are trained to send it to an oral surgeon to, to look at. And they won't really do anything unless they are, they're suspicious of something that needs to be biopsied. Um, yeah. But it's not in the conventional world. This is not something that's given much attention or, or looked at, like I said, unless they see something really, really obvious on the x-ray, then they send it to an oral surgeon to check it out and maybe biopsy it. Right. And then as far as symptoms go, like you mentioned all the extraneous disease that can happen whether it be Crohn's autoimmune you know, colitis to even cancers and heart disease and I mean joint pains headaches like I mean the list sure. could go on and on but that's the reality and and yet do they always have symptoms in their mouth or no no there I wouldn't really encourage whoever's listening to look up dental meridian charts there's a ton of them out there um, it, it will show you all the teeth in the mouth and each tooth, what meridian it lies on. And basically that's the energy channel, which organ lies on that same energy channel. You know, I've, I've had patients that, for instance, um, she had four lower front teeth with an infection and she was complaining of fibroids, uterine fibroids. And it's when you look at the meridian chart, those lower teeth are on the same meridian at the uterus. Um, kind of makes you question things. There's also been studies done to show um, that, you know, whether it's a root canal tooth that has an infection or a cavitation, because they kind of do the same thing where they block off the meridian, um, having issues in these organs. You know, they've, they've done some studies about, you know, to find that, you know, some women that uh, suffer from breast cancer have um, root canal teeth on the meridians in the same, you know, that fall in the same organ. And like I said, there are studies to show that. Um, if you go on the IOAMT, to find a ton of resources for patients and for professionals. And um, everything's evidence-based. Like there's research to back it up. It's not just talk. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so cavitations essentially are 
another representation of a root canal, which is literally a dead tooth. And so, of course, there's going to be bacteria that in there that potentially cause problems. Kind of like if you have a battery, like that one specific meridian, and you have it blocked because of a cavitation or a root canal, it's kind of like you unplugged a lamp from the wall. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it is. Yeah. kind of like that's a beautiful analogy Once you open the meridian up you put the plug back in and things are functioning mm -hmm. so to tell us about wisdom teeth you know so many people have had their wisdom teeth pulled and so you know are they important should we have them do they crowd the mouth like what's actually happening with the wisdom teeth and, and so the, the whole wisdom teeth conversation is gonna kind of take us into a development and airway um because you know, a fully developed adult should have room for 32 teeth in their mouth. But unfortunately, with the modern man diet, um, you know, the, the processed foods were not developing to our full potential, um, like the primitive, uh, like our primitive. So there's just not enough space in the mouth nowadays for all, you know, the wisdom teeth. So that's why they're coming in crooked and they're causing issues for patients. And that's when they need them taken out. Um, so, you know, it depends on the surgeon too. For instance, when I have a patient that has crowding or has an issue with a wisdom tooth, I need that tooth removed biologically. And what that means is when it's removed, all the ligament holding that tooth in the bone is completely cleaned out. Um, and that site is closed up really well so it doesn't lead to a future cavitation or what the conventional world would call a dry socket. Um, when patient has pain after extraction, you know, almost always, if you have a dry socket, we know it's not going to heal to its full potential. Um, I like to recommend when a patient gets a tooth extracted to get PRF done, which is platelet rich fibrin. They draw some of your blood, they spin it, they get the really awesome cells. And after that socket's cleaned out, um, we use ozone gas, which is, um, basically O3, O3 molecule that we make out of um, oxygen, medical grade oxygen with a generator. We use the ozone because it's a natural antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial. The body loves oxygen, it's, it's just life. And um, we use that to you know, also disinfect the bone and then we, we place um, the PRF membrane in there and then we, we close it up really nicely and then you just gave your body all the tools it needs to work on its own and heal itself. It's amazing. David, go ahead. Well, no, there's so many things we have to talk to her about, so we got, we got to try to move things along here. So I want to <laughs> briefly talk about the amalgam removal and the why behind that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, dental amalgam fillings have been, you know, around for a very, very long time. Um, back in the day, they were uh, composites weren't really the best when they first came out. They were very sensitive to moisture. They were not the strongest, so they started using those dental amalgams because they they said they're not it's not sensitive to moisture and it's pretty strong. It will last a very very long time. Um, I don't know if everyone knows that those dental amalgam fillings they are forty five to fifty five percent mercury, um, metallic mercury, and um, you know, that's kind of what's in it. And mercury is known to be a neurotoxin. Um, now, the ADA kind of said that mercury in the amalgam filling is completely safe because it's in the bonded form. Um, but the IAOMT also, like I said, they have a ton of uh, research and articles showing that these mercury amalgam fillings uh, off-gas mercury vapor uh, which is also a neurotoxin. So um, there's a huge difference, David, between like a mercury-free practice and a mercury-safe practice. Um, a lot of practices now are, you know, advertising that they're mercury-free. And mercury-free basically means that you're not placing those silver fillings anymore. But there's so many people out there that have existing mercury, I'm, I'm sorry, um, existing amalgam fillings in their mouth. Um, and when they're drilled out, if it's not done, in a way to protect the patient um, and the provider from from the mercury vapor, you know it's not in their best interest. So that's what a mercury safe office would be. So when they're they're not placing a mercury amalgam fillings, but when they're removing them, they are following um, very very strict protocol 
um, which is scientific based um, to, to protect them and the patient from any particles while removing them. So can you briefly paint a picture for a patient of like all the stuff you got on, what you're doing for the patient, like to protect them and yourself? Yeah, so when, when, we, when you drill um, an amalgam filling out, there's a lot of little particles and mercury vapor that come out. So in order to protect you know, the patient, we basically have them covered up um, have them wear a gown, gloves, head, surgical cap, head cap. We isolate the tooth from the rest of the mouth um, with a rubber dam. We give them an external source of oxygen because we don't want them breathing um, that air coming out. So we give them oxygen. We, me and my assistant, we wear respirators, um, which are for mercury vapor. We have an external suction. It's called dent air vac right next to the patient's tooth. Um, we have them swoosh with activated charcoal before and after the procedure, just so that it coats all the soft tissue so that if anything, you know, kind of escapes, it's, it, you know, it gets into the activated charcoal. Um, so it does take some time, you know, to set up all that. And then when I when we remove it, I try to drill the least amount of it, just go around it and kind of, because it's not bonded to a tooth, it usually, as, as soon as I kind of like create a little space around it, I could just, you know, easily remove it um, without just drilling the whole thing out. It's a very different process. Quick setup, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you, anyone listening, if they've had their amalgams removed, they're probably thinking, my goodness, my dentist just flicked it out. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's funny because when I when I sort of talk about proper procedure, most people wouldn't have a clue that it, it took this much detail to 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 do it safely. So, my goodness, it, it, for those of you listening that do want to get taken out, you got to make sure you're doing going to the right dentist. I don't know if you heard the FDA came out September of 2020 um, with a warning um, to you know avoid dental amalgam fillings. For pregnant women, those planning to be pregnant, um, nursing, small kids, patients with Alzheimer's, um, you know, neurological issues. So that that was a huge accomplishment for the IAOMT because they've been doing all the hard work to show study after study, um, you know, of, of the issues that people are running into. So we're very happy that this actually did happen. Yeah, it's amazing. I always find it comical when it's only for like a certain part of the population, like it's only bad for them, but everyone else, you're good. Go ahead and do it. But it's just poisonous <laughs> for them. You, you know, I'll you tell know, you one thing, what I, what I honestly wasn't even convinced with, um, the Environmental Protective Agency came out a couple years ago and they demanded every dental office install an amalg amalgam separator because they didn't want all the particles going into the wastewater. And if you don't comply, you know, you'll be fined. Mm. So they don't want that stuff in the water, but it's okay to be in, in our mouth. That's just a question for me. I don't get it. Yeah, and for the patient, I mean, we're, Doc's talking about vapor when she's removing these things. And then I've heard that just friction and hot liquids can Absolutely. cause these vapors. And these vapors can go into your brain and cross the blood-brain barrier. So one of the arguments they had for a while is they were trying to test to see if they found it in people's blood after the removal, and they would say, well, we're not finding anything in the bloodstream. Well, no, no, excuse my language, but no shit, because it's vapor, and you're inhaling it, and it's going up into your brain. And if you have a leaky brain barrier, that's where you get the heavy metal toxicity. And for our listeners, mercury is one of, it's actually probably the most poisonous substance on the planet. So the fact that it's even in our mouths to begin with, it was a big no-no. So use your common sense here. I mean, this isn't rocket science. It shouldn't be in our mouth. And if it is, do what you need. Go to someone like Dr. Oshu or someone in your area who practices, is accredited by these boards, and make sure you're getting these things removed properly because there are risks to these things. And a lot of people can get very, very sick and have gotten sick from having these not removed properly. I wanted to spend some time there because it's very sure. important. And now we really got to pick your brain and get into the other fun stuff. So airways, breathing, tongue ties, give us the gist, Doc. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll probably start off with um, some Weston Price um, 
research and study. I don't know if you guys, you, you guys are probably familiar with Western Price, but um, Western Price is a dentist who did a ton of research in the early um, 1900s on, you know, the Western diet. He, he went and traveled the world and, and, you know, saw areas that had no processed foods and they had extremely well-developed primitive jaws that fit all their teeth, no decay. Um, and then he, you know, he visited other areas that were exposed to the modern man diet and crowding, decay, all the things, um, you know, and, and, and it's just, it just, you know, clicked to him that how modern man diet is just ruining everything. Everything's soft, everything's mush. We're not, you know, those infants aren't, you know, breastfeeding for, couple years or three years, um, which everything's just made easy for the kids. Everything's, you know, that blended food, um, the spoon that kind of you push on it and kind of self feeds. And, you know, we're not really stimulating our jaw. We're not giving those kids all the tools to help them grow and develop properly. Um, so that that's kind of where, where things started off. Um, but I've, I, I see, um, you know, every single day, that primitive skull, that nice forward growth, we don't see much. And it's mostly due to Western diet, mouth breathing that kind of starts when they're infants, tongue ties and whatnot. Can we talk about tongue tie? Like, <laughs> tell, tell people what tongue tie is because uh, I think I've got it. And what do you do about it as an adult? So, so basically everyone... Everyone has a frenum underneath their tongue. So your tongue is, is attached to the floor of your mouth with something called a frenum. How much you can move and elevate your tongue, that's how we assess tongue tie. So it's a functional assessment. It's not just how it looks. Like I can't look in your mouth and be like, oh yeah, you have a tongue tie. I have to assess how much your tongue can function. Some people have a little bit, of, I mean, like I said, everyone has that frenum. But how far can your tongue go and range of motion um is it really really tight that you can't touch the roof of the mouth with your tongue so when we have scales to assess that when a patient's tongue tight it's kind of like a dog on a leash you know they want to go they can't they want to go they can't. and they end up just sitting right next to you because it's too much work to just pull against that you know um to pull against and just try to go off so that's kind of what i think of when when i think of a tongue tie our tongue is supposed to be sitting up in the roof of the mouth lips closed, we're supposed to be nasal breathing. Mouth breathing is not normal. So um, when you have a tongue tie, it's hard for your tongue to sit all the way up in the roof of the mouth. Um, so it's just easier for it to sit down low. And when you can't make contact with the roof of the mouth, you can't nasal breathe. So they're going to automatically be mouth breathers. So tongue tie, undiagnosed tongue tie results in mouth breathing. And when you're mouth breathing constantly, that force of air every breath you take. Um, we also swallow incorrectly. We use our oral muscles wrong. There's a lot of dysfunction and that people don't even know they're doing it. They don't even know something's wrong. Um, plus you don't have your tongue sitting up in the roof of your mouth to support that growth. Guess what happens? Things start collapsing in. Um, and that's why we get the crowding com combination with the modern man diet that's why we see the narrow mouth, the crowding. There's absolutely no room for your wisdom teeth. My goal for all my, the kids I see in my office, I want them to have a mouth that fits 32 teeth comfortably. Um, that's what you want because then now your tongue has a nice garage. You can sit up there. It's going to support that upper arch. Um, nasal breathing, you know, got to get rid of mouth breathing. Well, and we've talked about the importance of nasal breathing. I mean, we got into it with Dr. Perry Nicholson on the Limp Mojo stuff, right? I mean, you're talking about when you're breathing through your mouth, you're not going to move fluids properly. The lymphatic system doesn't, prop, doesn't pump properly. I mean, we have this hydraulic system innately in our system, and we're not breathing with that diaphragmatic breath and doing that nasal breathing. There's so many things that just start to break down, and our body can't function the way it was designed. I mean, Absolutely. And... And I, you know, I would ask you, 
are we seeing more? I mean, like you're saying, we're seeing a lot of this now. This isn't something that's uncommon. Like it's, oh, no. it's becoming it's, more and more common. You know, David, the thing is people adapt. Humans adapt. Like when I ask someone, they're like, oh, I've, you know, I've always, I always have allergies. I, you know, I'm always, you know, we, we find reasons to be okay with how things are in life. And that's just a human adaptation kind of thing. So, um, it's been around and it, yes, definitely it's getting worse. And, and, but like I said, humans adapt. A lot of people have no clue there's an issue. I, I saw an adult lady, her tongue is tied to the tip and she doesn't know there's an issue. She never had speech problem. She adapted. She adapted really well. You start compensating. When you have this much of a tongue tie, you're going to use all your other facial muscles and neck muscles to help you get the goal accomplished, which is speaking. Um, you're going to start moving your, your neck, slouching it forward, forward head posture because you want to open your airway. Um, and then that starts, you know, affecting your spine, affecting your posture, affecting your back. There's a lot of studies to show like tethered tongue or tongue tie affects sleep, affects um, neck and back pain, affects so many things. And, you know, if people research, you'll find ton of ton of books just talking about what a tongue tie could do to your life. Like Dr. Richard Baxter has a book out there. He's a pediatric dentist in Alabama called Tongue Tied. Um, and then he talks about how this little piece of tissue can affect so many things in your life. Um, Dr. Felix Liao, he has so many books out there. Um, one of them is um, License to Thrive. The other one is um, Six Foot Tiger, Three Foot Cage, um, talking about all the things how, you know, our mouth could be the, the three foot cage and our tongue is a six foot tiger. And, you know, our tongue, our mouth didn't develop to its full potential because of, like I said, the modern man diet, the mouth breathing, the undernose tongue tie, all the things. And, you know, where's that tongue going to go? It's either going to go back and encroach on the airway or thrust forward. And I, and I see both on a daily basis. I see patients that because there's no room for the tongue, they, they unconsciously push it forward and they start creating an open bite. Like they're biting, their back teeth are biting together, but they have this huge gap in the front. And they don't know. They have absolutely no idea why it's happening. But that tongue is so extremely strong. It just, and it's it's so out of tone. Doesn't know where to go. And it just like, you know, it's kind of like a a drunk person just walking around, just smacking things, <laughs> literally. And it just moves teeth. It will move teeth all over the place. Wow, that's fascinating. So as an as an adult, um, like when you described it, like I know that my frenulum is is tight. So I can definitely touch the tongue to the roof, of the mouth and all that. But I notice scalloping on my tongue mm -hmm. and I think I've always had a slightly forward bite. And so that's just part of my compensation, I think with time. Um, but on, on those lasers, like what, what do you do for a tongue tie? Yeah. So, so we got to first make sure it's a tongue tie issue, not a tongue space issue. Mm. They're, they're very different, but they have the exact same symptoms. So, you know, the tongue scalloping that you were just mentioning, that's, you know, that's mostly, you know, there's no, that tongue just is so tight. It's pushing against the teeth. It starts creating those scallops, but, you know, they, they have very, very similar uh, presentations, but we don't want to just go and laser off or surgically cut off all the tongue ties without having a really proper assessment. You know, so that's why I do a whole workup for my patient. To, we need to figure out first, do they have an issue with a restriction by releasing and therapy? We could get improvements or they have no space for that tongue. It doesn't matter if I release it or not. So we got to get the tongue space first. And then when you, when you really tone the tongue with a the therapy and you release it, guess what? That tongue is going to sit nice toned up in for the mouth, less likely for the airway to collapse when you're sleeping. That's awesome. What about, what about, um, jaw exercises like i've seen some devices that like uh, jaws are size uh, is, is one that comes to my mind um but what do you what do you think about some uh, devices that that maybe help to develop some of the jaw muscles or things like that well what's the purpose of of those um devices like what what, what are you trying to accomplish uh, i think that some of the things that they talk about are like releasing tension headaches and and um just maybe maybe there's some spatial or structural changes that would happen as a result of of using them I, I don't know all the different yeah um, so I, i'm not really sure about those those devices but i think what you're trying to say is toning the tongue toning the facial muscles 
when a patient has, you know, jaw pain or TMJ pain or um, they wake up with headaches, you know, that's, that's when I would really do that airway workup where, we, you know, if they're an adult, I like to do a sleep study. Um, I work with a sleep surgeon who provides that. Um, if, if they're kids, we go off of a questionnaire. But a lot of times the, the, the headaches, the, the jaw pain is related to a restricted airway. So not necessarily sleep apnea. A lot of patients have something called upper airway resistance syndrome, um, which is not sleep apnea. Apnea, basically sleep apnea means you stop breathing for 10 seconds or more. That's when you have an actual apnea. But a lot of patients I see who don't have sleep apnea, but they have something called upper airway resistance syndrome where the, your airway, just imagine it like a tube and at night it just gets a tiny bit narrower. So your body senses that, your body's alarm system senses that. So it just gives you a little nudge, like breathe better. That's when a patient will toss, will turn, will clinch, grind. Um, some of them do it way more on one side than the other. Um, and clinching and grinding on one side than the other. Later on, it's, it really affects your cervical spine. It really, you know, all that pressure, your body starts remodeling. The bone starts remodeling over time. Um, and, I, and I see it in patients where like, wow, one side of the jaw is really, you know, has so much bone deposits on the side and the other doesn't. And it's all the remodeling that the human body does in response to the stress and tension. Um, so, so, so there's this kind of therapy called myofunctional therapy. And a lot of people don't really know what that is. And they confuse it with speech therapy um, or physical therapy. Myofunctional therapy is basically therapy to train you to keep the tongue up in the roof of the mouth to tone the tongue, um, to breathe through your nose, to swallow correctly. And the whole goal is, like I said, your airway is a muscle. The anterior wall of your airway is your tongue with the base of the tongue. So if you tone that tongue, you tone your airway, you make sure your tongue is sitting properly where it needs to be, you, you start swallowing correctly so you don't put incorrect forces on your teeth that shouldn't um, a lot of patients, and Dr. Zaghi, who's a sleep surgeon in Los Angeles, he's, he has an institute called the Breathe Institute. He's done a lot of research on this, and he's done studies to show that patients that have mild sleep apnea, um, myofunctional therapy, and with or without a release if they need it, has shown at least 50% reduction in their numbers, the apnea hypopnea numbers. Hmm. Um, so, so that's the kind of therapy that I would recommend. And I would recommend doing it with someone who's been trained to do proper myofunctional therapy, not a speech language pathologist. Some of them are dual trained. So they take courses in myofunctional therapy, but I think myofunctional therapy is crucial for any person it does not matter the age, if they're capable of doing it. You know, I am a dear mentor of mine. He was telling me in one of his courses, if a patient, you know, needs, needs, uh, braces, you know, myofunctional therapy, you know, surgery, whatnot, and he can only get one thing done. It would always be myofunctional therapy because you're going to get somewhat kind of improvement. It's not going to cure everybody. If you're mild, you're more likely to get better um, relief of symptoms. But if you, you're a more severe case, you're probably going to need more things involved. But um, myofunctional therapy is going to help tone, you know, your, your airway. And we, with that, I want to add lip taping, um, you know, of course, before anyone just jumps on lip tape, you got to make sure you're working with someone, um, a professional, whether a myofunctional therapist or a functional dentist, but you got to make sure you can breathe through your nose, right? You got to make sure you don't have any polyps in your nose or enlarged turbinates or whatnot. You got to do nasal rinses. But I, for instance, I can't sleep without my lip tape. Um, my, my kids lip tape, my husband lip tapes. I was just telling my patients the other day, my husband, um, one time he woke up, I don't know, two, three in the morning and he had his phone flashlight just, and, and it flashed in my arm. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's looking for his tape. <laughs> like literally he was against it for the longest time ever. And when I started him on an appliance with a lip tape, he just can't function, can't sleep without the tape anymore. Um, you know, when you're breathing through your nose, you're, you're, you're really moving the cilia in your nose. It's helping, um, you know, get rid of. Um, things in the nose and it's also you're producing nitric oxide which your body desperately needs and we know when you're closer to 40 the production of nitric oxide kind of 
decreases. So nasal breathing is, is, is crucial, crucial, crucial. Yeah, that's huge. You know, I mean, the whole structural, you know, workup uh, of really understanding someone's integrity within their mouth to, in order to apply these different tools that you're speaking to are just, you know, so important. And then, and again, it just goes to the, you know, when we started this conversation it was all about, you know, the conventional dentistry versus what a biological dentist is, is addressing. And it's just, it's, it is the whole body because you're addressing this thing that you're using every day. You're, you know, you're, you walk around with your juicer everywhere you go and you don't realize you're not using it properly. <laughs> or for instance, like, you know, the, the sippy cups for kids or um, mm. all these, you know, gadgets they have for kids. Now, a lot of parents have no clue that this is really causing adding more to the muscular dysfunction their child has you know it's it, the pacifier use we see all these narrow narrow arches yeah. narrow mouth there's no room for the tongue there's no room. start having crowding you know and and it affects the kids they start having attention deficits so many kids now we see on add medications um you know without a really good thorough evaluation of everything going on with the kid um, so that kind of really, you know, bugs me that all, all the kids I see on, on, on those medications, um, and I, and I can clearly see there's an issue that could potentially be related. I'm not saying this is the cause of everything, but it's worth doing a full complete assessment, making sure all the systems are working properly before just going and prescribing something. Um, that's why when I see a patient, I'm like, Hey, I see red flags in your mouth. Like I see the scalping of the tongue. I see so much wear and tear. I see those bony bumps, which we call tori. Um, you know, I see the slouching in the neck. Let's. How about we do a workup? Let's look at. Let's look at your whole system. Why do things in your mouth look like this at your age? It shouldn't. You know, we we shouldn't have that much wear. It should be one millimeter in every hundred year of life, and and that's not what I see. And I I never see that. Rare, hardly, <laughs> rarely. Um, wow. So I'm curious, Doc. You know, I always have this joke because almost everybody has to have a sleep study now and almost everybody's on a sleep machine. All of a sudden, the past decade, like they hand them out like that, literally like candy. Like, I can't tell you how many people come into me, they're already on a CPAP. So speaking of doing a full evaluation, these people go and do these sleep studies and then they just throw them on a CPAP. But how many, I'm wondering like, how many of these people actually have issues with what we're talking about right now? All of them. Whether it's tongue tie, tone issues with the tongue, issues with their jaw, you know, airway obstruction. And that's the actual problem that needs to be corrected. And yet we're just throwing them on these ventilators, which are super uncomfortable to try to sleep with. And these poor people, yes, they do feel better because they're getting oxygen. But I mean, it's almost like some like space age, like busted ass method to try to fix a problem when there's got to be a better fix for this thing. And speaking about patching stuff and not really fixing it, that's yep. the way I look at these machines right now, man. Like yeah. we're not looking for the root. These guys are making, they're making bank off of just selling these machines and they're not helping anybody. Yeah, unfortunately the CPAP machines, they, they're considered the gold standard to treat and I would question that word because I don't think it treats sleep apnea. I think I see it more as a Band-Aid. Um, you're shoving high force oxygen in a patient's you know, throat, is drying everything. Yes, it's, it's definitely needed for certain people. You know, you, you, we can't argue that, but I would also look at how can we fix things permanently? Yes, I have patients that need a CPAP, but I, I kind of tell them, I don't want you to be on this forever. Let's see, let's keep you on this because I need you to be oxygenated. Let's see how we can fix it permanently so you don't have to rely on the Band-Aid for the rest of your life, which, you know, that's kind of how I see a CPAP. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and these MDs should be referring to other specialists to look for the cause of why there's airway obstruction. You know, David, it's, it's things. very hard because in the medical world, everything's about what is a patient's insurance going to cover? And I, I'm talking from a, a, a personal experience. I'm not talking as a healthcare provider. You know, when, when a doctor wants to recommend a medication for me, they, before they even say it out loud, they got to go and see, is it covered or not? And if it's not covered, they don't even offer it to me. If I, if I ask something, like for instance, you know, a few years ago and I'm asking my doctor, could you, you know, check my vitamin D? And, and, and she's like, but that's not covered. 
that's the first thing that came out of her mouth. It's not covered by your insurance. I'm like, I understand, but I, I do want to check my vitamin D. So it's, it's, it's all kind of controlled, but why, you know, with what, I, I, I don't blame them. It's kind of not in their hand. They're, they can't offer things that are not covered um, because patients, a lot of patients are, are really oriented on what your insurance covers. And what's very unfortunate is insurance does not have the patient's best interests in mind. Um, it's, 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 it's a company, right? At the end of the day, it's a company, they, there's profit and stuff. But I, when I treat my patient, I see what my patient needs, what I think my patient needs, not what their interest is going to cover. And I tell them, this is what I think you need. Um, and I might not be the dentist for everybody, you know, which is, I'm, I'm very okay with that. I've had patients when I started assessing tongue ties or assessing their airway, um, or looking at other things, they didn't feel comfortable because it's not what their you know parents dentists used to say and and that's totally okay i don't you know i'm not interested in being everyone's dentist i i want the best for my patient as a person as a whole um you know that's kind of why i'm in it so you know that whole insurance deal that it's a big pet peeve of mine because as practitioners our job is not to only offer what the patient's insurance covers our job is to assess and evaluate and tell them what they need. It's their job yeah. to decide if they want to use their insurance Absolutely. or they want to pay out of pocket because maybe they need something. But that's not our job. And for doctors who are doing that kind of crap, it's ridiculous, man. You tell the patient what they need. You don't go and see if it's covered and then come back to the patient and not even say anything to the patient because you're not going to get paid. That's not what you signed up for when you became a doctor. Our job is to help people at the end of the day. Do no harm, help people, no matter what profession you're in and you're practicing some form of medicine. And we're in this time and age where insurance and big business is regulating how our medicine is done. And so speaking out to these other practitioners, if you're listening, if that's you, then shame on you because you're supposed to give the patient the information that is needed for them. They make that decision, not you, whether you're going to get paid or not. Because maybe you don't know that patient might decide, you know what, I'm going to pay out of pocket. My insurance doesn't cover it, but I need this. So can I pay out of pocket for this? So, sorry, I went on a little rant there. No, but no, I, I hear it. you. Like, I, I'm that telling you, I'm, I'm so speaking from my personal experience as a patient. Yeah. And, and I've run into all of this as a patient. You know, my, my, you know my, my doctor will give me what my insurance covers, not what I, you know. I feel like I should make an informed decision. You inform me of all my options, and I make that decision. That's how I treat my patients. I, I inform my patients of everything I see, and I let them make a decision. I don't tell them you need this or you need that. You know, I tell them this is what I see. This is what's going on. You know, we can. You know, we you can you can do this. You can do that. You could do nothing because doing nothing is still an option. But I don't make the decision for them. They sometimes they ask me, Doc, what would you do? You know, I tell them what if this was my tooth or this was my mouth, I would do this. I never, ever make a decision for my patient. I believe in informed consent, and that's just how it should be everywhere. Patient needs to make an informed decision given all the options, all the circumstances. Regardless of what, Regardless. who's paying, how they're paying, and how that's going to play out. It's beautiful. Um, I, I got one more question, and I know we only have a little bit of time left. Um, what about flossing? And what about gum recession? I know that might be a big topic for the soft tissue side of things, but uh, I know people, I mean, that's, that's the common question that people I'm ask. I'm actually glad you brought it up because, um, you know, that's kind of one of the other difference between a conventional dentist and a biological dentist. You know, conventional dentistry, we were taught brush and floss, floss and brush, you know, uh, fluoride this, fluoride that. And, but um, there's a lot to it. There, I have patients that brush and floss the way they should and they still have issues or they have gum recession um, and they've been told you're brushing too hard that's why your gums are receding um, they've been told you're not flossing correctly it's all the brush and floss yes brushing and flossing is they're very important right you need to make sure you're clean but it's not the, the only part of equation um, diet diet is a huge part a lot of a lot of people think they're eating healthy but they don't understand the importance of fat-soluble vitamins, omega-3s in their oral health, um, and how that helps combat decay, how that helps elevate the pH in the mouth, hence in the body. 
um, and actually can reverse the, the decay process. Um, mouth breathing. Some people eat extremely healthy, they brush and floss, and they still have cavities. Well, I look for mouth breathing. Because if you're mouth breathing, and a lot of people have no clue to their mouth breathing, they, they think when I say mouth breathing, they have their mouth wide open. You can be mouth breathing with your mouth just open little slits, and you'll know is that you'll, you'll have drool on your pillow or whatnot. Um, but mouth breathing, it reduces the pH in your mouth. So pH drops all night long, um, you know, at least to issues. Recession, I'm glad you brought that up because I have a lot of patients that come to me they're like, oh, my dentist said I'm brushing too hard. Um, most of the recession I see is from incorrect bite, incorrect forces falling on teeth. Patient is clenching and grinding their teeth at night like there's no tomorrow and the teeth are inclined a little bit lingually. It's kind of like if you have a pole in the ground, right? And you're hitting it up top sideways, it starts ditching at the bottom. Hmm. That's how I explain it to my patient. And I show them the wear at the tip of the tooth, um, where, where the tooth is touching the other tooth. And then I see them, I show them the ditching at the gum line and the recession in that one or two or three teeth. Um, most of the time, the recession and the ditching of the gum line is because of incorrect bite, which needs to be assessed. So. Your dentist has to look at your overall system. How's your bite? How is that related to your jaw joint? How is that relating to your airway? All of the systems need to be looked at and how they function together. That's the most important thing. How things in your body are functioning together. You can't just get the teeth nice and pretty lined up and straight and then let them be. You have the tongue, you have the muscles, you have the airway, you have the joint. So many people I see that have perfectly straight teeth and then their jaws clicking and popping. Their tongue is super scalloped. They have all these issues going on. And then they're asking me, why are my teeth shifting back again? No one talked about the muscles. Mm. No one talked about the whole complex, the whole system working together. When you have a system working in harmony, you straighten teeth, guess what? They're gonna stay there. They're not gonna shift around. Now, when you have dysfunction going on and you put a nice pretty little thing in the middle, it's going to be hit right and left with the dysfunction going on. That's amazing. That's a, that's a perfect way to, I think, wrap this up because, uh, you know, there's more, there's way more questions that we have, but, uh, but it's, it just helps to really finish on, on this note of like, you got to address all of it. And, and it's not just one thing. It's not just about the diet. It's not just about the, how you're brushing. It's, it's about all of it, the structure, the, the soft tissue, the muscle, the, the joints, uh, all that stuff that you, you brought up. It's brilliant. Uh, I've learned a ton. Uh, one, I do have one more question, though. What's your favorite mouth tape? Or like, what do you, what do you usually recommend for the So the there's, there's a bunch. If you're, if you're a newbie, I would probably recommend like myotape. Um, it, it comes pre-cut, pre-made, and it looks like a little like a little picture frame. Um, you know, if you're worried about being claustrophobic, I would start off with that because it holds your lips together, but you can still have like an escape kind of way where you can still open your lips. For me, it um, doesn't really work as well. I, I just get um, like surgical tape off Amazon. 3M makes a really good sensitive surgical tape. I've had a patient tell me... Um, if you rip it too fast off the lip, it could kind of cause a little bit of irritation. It doesn't with me. I, 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 me and my girls and my husband, we use it and we're fine. But she, she uh, found silicone tape on Amazon that she okay. is using. She said she washes it, lets it dry, and, and reuses it. I personally haven't tried it myself. But there's a bunch of companies. Uh, Nexicare, I think, makes it. Um, uh, some, another company, so mean, I can't remember the name, but there's there's a lot out there. I honestly just get the role of 3M surgical sensitive tape and I use that. But Myotape, really good one. If you're a newbie, if you've never tried lift taping, Myotape is a good one because um, you won't feel claustrophobic. It's, it's, it's very safe. Cool. But like I said, make sure you're working with a, functional, a myofunctional therapist or a functional dentist before you just jump off, jump on and lift tape. I usually I gradually start my patients with like, I check with three minutes first. Could you even nasal breathe for three minutes? You pass that, we do, you know, 10 minutes a day during the day. And then you pass that, we could do 30 minutes during the day. And then you graduate to doing it at night. I don't just jump into doing it at night. So make sure you're working with a qualified professional to guide you through the process so you do it right. And no duct tape for our listeners. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
So Doc, thank you so much. This has been a blast. We're going to ask you for a part two for sure. Absolutely. Definitely. There's, just, there's Definitely. a whole lot more there. So for our listeners real quick, can you tell us where they can find your information, reach out to you, things like that? Yeah. So, um, you know, you could look us up. My office is called Santa Teresa Smiles in Santa Teresa, New Mexico. We're actually in El Paso, Texas, but, you know, the border is kind of right there. Um, if you are not in the area, you could go on to the IAOMT, which is the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. They do have a member directory list. And um, members, there are different levels. There's just a, a general member. There's a SMART, which is a safe mercury amalgam removal technique certified dentist. That means that this dentist has been trained to follow the guidelines uh, set forth by the IAOMT to safely remove um, an amalgam filling. And then there's accredited member who's um, passed um, bridges training, like an intense training um, course and examination and an oral presentation um by the ioamt so they've already done the smart certification and they've been accredited there's also fellow and then there's master those have done just additional research studies so you can find members in your area based on their you know the ranking of their membership there's also the international academy of biological dentistry and medicine um, they're a really well-known organization as well and they have a directory of certified the only they used to you know, just um, have a directory of all members. Now they only have certified um, biological dentists that have been certified by the board. They also went through examination and oral examination and they've been certified as biological dentists. So you can find, um, you'll find me on both, but you can find dentists in your area in both of these organizations um, if you're looking for one. So good. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us. Uh, I've learned a ton. And, Thank you guys uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure. I, I hope to meet you in person. Yeah, I hope so. Come on yeah, over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get some, get some uh, sun. Some vitamin D, right? Yeah. Yep. Vitamin yeah. D. When you go to Phoenix, man, you can always come spend a couple of days and I'll pass it. There we go. That's, that's, uh, we're, we're trying to figure out the plan. So yeah. Well, we we'll, we'll, yep. love it. Love it. <laughs> All right, guys. So good to see you. And uh, we'll thank you so see you the next one. Love you, man. Love you, too. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to The Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.